Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself, running your first marathon, or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight, because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Good Friday, everyone. I am so pleased to be here, and I have to tell you, this is going to go down in history as probably one of the most interesting interviews we've ever had a chance to do. So whatever you do, do not move away from your audio connection. You need to hear this show. And before we get started, I want to make sure that I give you a few promo codes from a few of our sponsors. If you're interested in getting heart rate, I highly recommend that you look into Mio, Mio Alpha, Mio Fuse. And if you do, go to their uh, site to purchase Make sure that you plug in a promo code, which is DIAZ15, which gets you 15% off any meal uh, product. And MedHab, we're going to talk about this at great length today, but these insoles are absolutely amazing, as you'll learn in a little bit. But we're giving a full $100 discount for anyone that purchases a pair of these insoles online through uh, MedHab, and what you do is go to MedHab RPM squared, plug in the promo code Diaz promo, and you're going to get a hundred bucks off. This is the less, the least amount of money you'll spend for this highly innovative set of insoles, and you're going to learn about them in a bit. So, with no further ado, I want to introduce you, the audience, to what is arguably the fastest man in the world as a runner. Michael Johnson, four-time gold medalist, eight-time world champion and gold medalist. He set and still holds the record for the 400 meters and had the 200 meters, only man in history to ever um, achieve this within the same Olympics. And, you know, was recently, uh, the 200-meter record was taken down after 12 years, I might add, by Hussein Bolt. But what an amazing, amazing athlete. And I'm going to shut up for just a second and get Michael on and have him say hello to the audience. Michael Johnson, it is an honor to have you on my show, sir. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Michael, I was witness to the amazing performances you threw down in the uh, Atlanta Olympics in 1996. And I'm telling you, I got chicken skin just having a chance to sit here and talk to you. (laughs) I appreciate that. It's it's good to be on. So, Michael, um, well, let let me just kind of do a few things. Now, you've got to forgive me because I'm one of those tongue-in-cheek guys. Whatever goes in my head comes right out of my mouth. So 
just know that going in. Um, how, how old are you now, sir? 47. 47 years old. If I took you down to the track today to run a 400, what should you think you could do? I have no idea exactly what I would do, but what I do know is that it would be significantly slower than what I used to do, and I'm actually not very interested in figuring out how much slower I am than I used to be. That that holds absolutely no interest to me to figure out, to find out how slow I am now versus what I used to be. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I just had to throw that out there, just just out of curiosity, and I didn't know how old you were, so... So I had I had to ask because I, I try to put things into context here. So Michael, um, I know you you grew up in Texas and you you had a, a pretty amazing career in college. I'm looking at some of the numbers you threw down in college, and it doesn't appear to me that there was that huge a difference. And I realize the nature of uh, the sprint that you know we're not seeing real big moves between finish times. Uh, and just a little bit, fraction of a second is, is a major difference. But you were fast in college. Um, what, what the, what the heck, man? I mean, was that it? Just you got up and you were just a great runner from the start. Um, I think actually, I, I think I actually benefited uh, from the fact that if you go back to my high school career, I. Um, I, I wasn't one of those kids that came out of high school with just these phenomenal times. The school that I went to uh, in Dallas, uh, my high school, Skyline High School in Dallas, um, was a, a magnet school, um, and, and our sports weren't very good. Um, we uh, the, the focus was all on academics. You had to apply to get into the school, and I somehow snuck in. Um, and... Um, and so sports just wasn't really a, a real focus. So my freshman year of uh, high school, I didn't even run track. I'd run track, played football in junior high, and played soccer and everything else when I was in elementary school. But when I got into high school, I was so focused on the academics. My freshman year, I didn't run track, and um, and then I missed it. And so my sophomore year, I came back out for track, but I came out at the end of the season. I didn't get a full season in and um, and beat all of the guys on my team in the last meet of the year, my coach was like, you know, where is this guy been? And uh, so junior year, I come back out and, um, and have a full season. But even then, um, the, the, the sports at my school was, so my, my high school coach was the defensive coordinator for our football team. And he would literally come out the week before the track season began and said, all right, who's running track? So literally guys were, all right, I'm going to run. Yeah, I'm going to run. And so we haven't done anything. So it's only, you know, by the time we get to, you know, the end of the season, are we actually starting to get any sort of, in any sort of condition or shape or anything? So um, so I was underdeveloped dramatically. And my senior year was the same situation. And so uh, my coach, and, and, but even after that, I was running some of the fastest times in the country. Um, and my coach was, you know, just basically writing and calling every college coach in the country saying, hey, look, I have no clue what I'm doing, and look at what this kid is doing, so imagine what his potential is. And so uh, so I got recruited and went to Baylor, and so my freshman year at Baylor, things just took off because it was the first time that I had ever gotten into a program where I was actually able to train and, and actually get into shape and get some conditioning work and get an off-season program. 
and that's why uh, my times just dramatically dropped uh, from the first time I uh, ran a, a race at, at Bailey University. So basically, you you just had the gift. Would you would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, I was I was always fast. I was I was fast from the very beginning. I mean, from from the very beginning when I was uh, I played all different sports and I was always the fastest on the soccer team, fastest on the football team. Uh, you know, I was I was always fast. But you know, it, it you know this was in the this is in the seventies and and you know when I'm in you know elementary school in seventies and eighties and whatnot and you know and. And I'm growing up in Dallas, Texas. There's nobody from my neighborhood that's ever gone on to be an Olympic athlete or any of that sort of thing. And my parents are working their tails off trying to just, you know, make sure that we get an education and hopefully get into uh, get into college somewhere. They're not, you know, no nobody's got time. Where I grew up, nobody had time to be dreaming about going to the Olympics. So there was no one saying, oh, man, this kid's got great talent at, you know, 12 years old. Let's put him in a program or let's, you know, kind of take him out and, you know, and start to give him some instruction so that he can reach his full potential. There was there was none of that sort of thing. So I was just out there having fun. And I think, again, as we started this conversation off, I think that I benefited from all of that. I benefited from the fact that I was able to progress slowly without getting too far ahead of myself. You know, when I was in you know, sixth grade, I just wanted to be faster than all the other sixth graders. I'm not thinking about the Olympics, you know, and I think that that, that in the end, that was, a, that was a real benefit. Wow. Okay, so um, let's talk about the type of training you did do when you got to Baylor. What, was the majority of the type of things that you did, was it spent in the gym doing a lot of uh, strength training? Well, actually, uh, Richard, it's interesting. So when I first got to Baylor, like I said, I got into an off-season program where we started, uh, you know, the first uh, first week of school in the fall in September. Uh, we started our uh, our off season training, and so we're doing long runs and and things like that. And um, you know, not on the track. We're uh, we're out on hilly courses, almost cross country like courses, and you know that sort of thing. And then we're doing uh, on the track one day a week, and then we start to taper down and get into more of uh, some strength endurance stuff um, in, you know, kind of November, December, before we go into the indoor season. And, yeah, we're, we're in the weight room, um, but um, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the weight room not actually doing what I'm supposed to, and we're going to get to that later because it's an important part of the story and of my development as well. I just never liked lifting weights, so I wasn't really as, as dedicated to my, my strength training program as I, as I should have been. But those were, you know, we were doing a lot of uh, a lot of uh, over distance and you know and, and just general conditioning work for about a month at the very beginning and then we started getting into a lot of the the more strength building and building a base um, in in sort of September October well October November December before we went into the the indoor season in January and then of course in college you run in from January to May with the indoor and outdoor season so that's the sort of work we were doing. Yeah, it kind of surprises me that they actually had you doing long distance running when you're when you're focus. I'm assuming that in, in college your focus was more towards the 200 meters. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if you're a 200 meter or 100 meter, or even if you're a 60 meter sprinter in, in indoors uh, as a track athlete, you've got to do. I mean, well, think about it, Richard. I mean, so I'm a <laughs> I'm a sprinter. So when I say distance, that means we're doing like from you know 800 repeats and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> So I'm sure yeah. a lot of your, your listeners are going, that's all? That's what you yeah. call that distance? But yeah. it felt like distance for us. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but uh, but no, I mean it's 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 over distance for us. I mean, yeah, we would go out. You know, we're doing like you know, on a, you know, we have one day a week where we're out doing a, you know, putting in a few miles, and then the other times it's the way, basically what you're doing is it's not doing distance, but just you know, for a distance sake, it's you're basically building a a conditioning base so that then two months from you know September when it's you know it's November and now you're starting to do you know eight, six, four, two ladders and back up and that sort of thing, or you're doing, you know, four times, you know, 600 with minimal rest in between and, and those sorts of intervals that so your body's able to actually, you know, sustain that and you're actually in condition, actually be able to do the work and, and be able to put forth the, the effort and, and finish the, the workout that, that was going to be coming up uh, as we get later to um, uh, in, into the, the cycle. So um, I, I have I have an interesting uh uh, tidbit that came up just the other day. Um, I'm actually consulting for uh, a running shoe manufacturer right now, and I was uh, I was sitting uh, in the office of a sports performance company here on the West Coast. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, being in the business you're in, you might be. But uh, you ever heard of P3? I have not. Doctor Doctor Marcus Elliott. No. Anyway, so I, I'm sitting in office with these guys. And we were discussing. Uh, this running summit we're going to do. And these guys have a pretty sophisticated facility. And uh, I was, you know, we were talking about sprinting and the nature of training uh, because we do a lot of work with uh, football, baseball players. And, you know, they were talking about a lot of these uh, pro, pro teams are actually having some of the baseball players, as a matter of fact, do a lot of long distance running and it's sapping their power, you know, so they, they'd run for 20 minutes at the end of a workout and, they felt that it was really extracting some of the power that was necessary to perform. Uh, but anyway, in the course of the conversation, I brought you up and I mentioned that we we're going to have this interview today. And the guy I was sitting with, he used to work for Nike. And he told me that he was really good friends with the guy that, that actually made your gold shoes. Mm, yeah. Um <laughs> That's possible. But your, your your shoes were your shoes were Nike, right? You were uh, or designed yeah. by Nike. Yes, they were. Yeah. So anyway, apparently, uh, and the name escapes me, but if, if the fellow that actually uh, designed the shoe um, or manufactured the shoe, uh, apparently they 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 had worked together and, and for whatever it's worth. But uh, the gold okay. shoe thing came yeah. up, and cool. and that you know that was a result of it all. So yeah. you go to the nineteen ninety six Olympics. You probably knew going in that you were just going to kill this thing. Did you have any any designs on actually? I mean, you set the 200, 300, and 400 meter world records. Did, did you do the 300 in, in that uh, in that time? I know, I know that's not actually a, a competitive distance in the Olympics, right? It's not an Olympic distance. It is a distance that uh, so what they recognize as a world record. You'll have that. It's an odd distance. You run it every every now and then. Um, I broke it in uh, in the year uh, 2000. Um, as I was preparing, I was running a race down in South Africa. So I was preparing for the 2000 games, and I broke it then. So, but you did you know going into the 96 Olympics that you had a, a better than uh, better than 80% shot at setting a world record at these two two events? Um, well, being the world champion from the year before in both events and having broken the world record, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. Uh, I've broken the world record in 200 meters uh, a month before the games uh, at the Olympic trials. Um, 
but look, you know, it's it's no different than any other race. You you still have to run the race, you know. Right. So regardless of how, and and there's seven other people that are going to get in that final, and they're not just in there just to be hanging out, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in there to they're in there to win it too, and so um, so you know, it's confidence is a great thing, and and if you can take some confidence into a into an Olympic final, you know, that uh, that certainly uh, um, is, is a huge help, and so. Yeah, having um, having been the the, the world champion um, in 1995 in both the 200 and 400 meters, so taking that into 96 as well as uh, as I said, having broken the world record um, just a month before in the 200 meters, I, I was confident that uh, if I go in and execute and do all of the things that I need to do uh, from an execution standpoint, a preparation standpoint, then yeah, I can I can probably win it, but. Um, you know, there were some some other really fast guys running that year, and, and they had different ideas uh, than I did. And but also, you know, and again, you know, the key is you're still going to have the race, and so you have to go in and execute it. And uh, and anything can happen in the race. So um, fortunately, uh, it all it all worked out in the end. Though. Yeah, yeah. So did you mess those guys up when you showed up with those gold shoes? I mean, were, did did they like, <laughs> oh my God, what's up with that? <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know what effect it had on them, but I, I was fortunate in the fact that it didn't have the wrong effect on me because uh, uh, so the guy that you you mentioned uh, that was the shoe designer from Nike that uh, that designed those shoes, uh, Toby Hatfield. We we worked on that project for about a year, um, and 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 the the whole idea was was based on developing a new and innovative shoe that. Um, uh, that would be the lightest and most stable uh, track spike ever made, and um, and so we worked for about a year on that. And um, and it, when it came down to the color, the color was decided in less than, I mean, it was a it was a one minute process. Wow. And I mean, and and I bet I never had time to even think, what if I don't win gold? You know, <laughs> I just ne- never even thought about that. It never entered my mind. So yeah, I would imagine you know. <laughs> You put those on, and you got to say, "I better bring it now, man." <laughs> yeah, go. exactly. So, so I was fortunate that it didn't have the wrong effect on me, where I show up at the games and walk out into the stadium and realize that, "Oh my God, what have I done?" Yeah, and I was, I was always confident. Was always yeah. Confident. Well, again, I, I, I remember very vividly watching you, you set that record, or, or win that gold medal, I should say, or those gold medals, I should say, and. Um, yeah. You know, and and I know. I mean, I'm, I got to touch on this because we're going to be talking talking about gate stuff in a little bit. But um, I know you probably got a lot of grief for your running style. Um, I I, it's interesting. There was it. <laughs> people say that, and it's and it's funny, and and, and I, I make fun of it myself a lot of times. But when you're in front and you're winning. Generally, don't get much grief. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a form Nazi. I mean, I'm, I, I watch people run. That's what I do every day, you know. And I, and I work with people's running gait. And I'm just, I have things that I want to see my runners do. And it isn't, you know, sometimes it's a wrestling match, but I keep leaning back on just physics and nature and gravity. And, and I, and I, I look at, you know, as a matter of fact, I look at some of these elite marathon runners 
from Kenya and uh, Ethiopia. And, you know, for the most part, from the standpoint of the way they run, I mean, they are running machines. They're, they they are designed to run long distances. And, you know, everything about them, everything about they came up, where they lived, everything about them put them into that perfect storm to be able to do what they do. But having said that, you know, I see where, you know, like for, give you an example, uh, Haley Gaber Selassie, when, when he broke the world record in the marathon, the guy really runs like a duck, you know, and I'm thinking, God, if we just kind of clean that up. But it's difficult to criticize someone when they're in front, like you're saying. It's like, how do you say, well, wait a minute, man, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> you can't really say that, right? But, you know, I look at it in your, your upright posture when you when you were running. It almost looks surreal. Uh, it almost doesn't look like it's supposed to happen. And and your and your your cadence, you're like you, you're like you're flying, man. And in in that upright posture, I, I would I just would have thought that somewhere along the way, your coaches would have said, "Look, Michael, if we just lean into the wind a little bit, we might get a little bit more more speed out of this." Well, it's it's interesting that you say that because you know I was fortunate to have a coach that. You know, when when I came out of high school, all of the coaches except for one told me that I would have to change that I would have to change my style. And and if you asked any of those coaches why, their 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 basis for that was that everyone else runs different. Yeah, but everyone else is behind me. I'm beating those guys. <laughs> and so when you take the idea that leaning into the wind is going to actually, as a sprinter, is actually going to make you faster, that may not be true. If you take the idea that you know, everybody else is running one way and one guy's running the other way, so he must be wrong. It's a very simplistic view, and it's often the times what gets coaches in trouble. So I said that every coach but one said that I had to change my style, and the one that, that didn't say that was Clyde Hart, who ultimately ended up my college coach and my coach for the remainder of my, um, for all of my uh, professional career. And, and he had a very different pr- perspective. He is I mean, so just to give you a little background on Clyde Hart, he's also coached Jeremy Warren. He coached me in in terms of four hundred meters there's nobody better. He coached me to an Olympic gold medal at four hundred meters and four world championships at four hundred meters, two Olympic gold medals at four hundred meters, and the only person to repeat as four hundred meter world world uh, Olympic champion. He coached Jeremy Warner to an Olympic gold medal at four hundred meters and a silver medal at four hundred meters. And he just recently in twenty twelve coached uh, Sonia Richards to a four hundred meter uh Olympic medal. So he knows 400 meters. And um, and he said, look, the first time I saw you run, you looked different from the other guys. But the first thing I did is, and he, again, you, like you said, form Nazi, he is one as well, and so am I. And he looked at it and he said, it's different, but I don't see anything that's inefficient. And then he also said, I see some things that may actually be a little bit more efficient, but, but I'm not sure. So he doesn't change anything because, he realizes that there's nothing that I'm doing, even though it looks different from everyone else, there's nothing that I'm doing that is working against me or that is inefficient in terms of my running style. And that's the only reason you change anyone's running style is because they're doing something. And usually if it looks different, they are doing something inefficient. But you have to ask yourself first if that's the case. So that's what he did. Then he also revealed something, and I heard this. I didn't hear it directly from, from Clyde. I heard it in the media Years later, when I was in the middle of my professional career, and he said, hey, one of the things I also saw Michael when I first saw him run is that he reminded me of another sprinter. And he said, you know, everyone was focused before Michael came along. 
Carl Lewis was the iconic sprinter, and he had that beautiful forward lane, but he said, everybody forgot about a guy named Jesse Owens. Right. Arguably the best sprinter ever in the history of sprinting. If, if you ask my opinion, absolutely the best that there's ever been. And upright running style. And so mm-hmm. then to finish this whole thing, Richard, um, you know, my coach and I always wanted to make sure that we actually were doing everything that we possibly could to ensure that, you know, we're not missing anything. So in 1993, we actually had a study done uh, in conjunction with the U.S. Olympic Committee, and they had this model that they had made and with all of their sports scientists taking a lot of the great sprinters of, over the history and, and putting all of the, you know, stride length and stride frequency and all of those different things into play and to, to build the perfect model for a sprinter. And um, they put my style up against it and put me up against that model, and I beat the model. And it turned out that I was a lot more efficient than the model that they had built because the upright running style was creating a lot more downforce, which you need as a sprinter, not necessarily as a distance runner, but as a sprinter, you need downforce. And I was creating a tremendous amount of downforce because of my upright style. So there you have it. (laughs) Well, so let's talk about that for a second. Now, um, again, I, I'm kind of a geek. I look at this stuff, and um, and being in the world that I'm in, I know a lot of other geeks that look at this stuff. And uh, a, a fascinating point of interest that I thought, uh, and I've been using quite a lot, is uh, I got a guy that's a uh, this guy is an astrophysicist. Okay, he's a, he's basically a rocket scientist, and it's all about propulsion, lift, and gravity is what what they they make their bones on. And the guy made a, a really interesting comment to me. He said, every single animal on this planet requires 7.5 centimeters of lift in order to move their body through space one body length. So, for example, if you're six foot, in order for you to travel six feet in a particular direction, you require that much lift. Anything beyond that... Um, would be con- considered excess and costly. Now, in a sprint, it, you know, we're not really so much worried about cost because it's over pretty quickly. Uh, in a longer distance, it becomes more paramount. It becomes a bigger consideration. So I guess I understand that uh, if you're getting good propulsion or good force production out of the ground, that's obviously key, especially in an event like you're in. And then obviously enough, if you can create the turnover, you got the leg turnover happening while you're in space, you're just going to... You know, you're just going to travel faster. Uh, but again, I guess the 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 what's left out of that equation is is whether you're you're moving forward with that propulsion or whether you're moving up and down. And yeah, apparently and we didn't did. talk about we didn't talk about uh, recovery and turnover. So then, if you also look at uh, recovery, uh, trail leg recovery, right, with a much more upright uh, style. You're going to recover that trail leg behind you, and it's going to come right behind you and right up to to the bottom of your butt every single time as opposed to that long leading trail leg, which is going to get your air time and give you much more air time, which is exactly what you don't want. Huh. Huh. Well, it's interesting. There's, there's a reason for it all, Richard. There's a, yeah. there's a reason for it all. It's not, it's not just that it just looked different and it was just kind of different and it was kind of funny and just miraculously I happened to be faster than everybody else with a funny different style. That's you, know what's gonna happen at, you know what's going to happen after this show is that every sprinter that listens to this is going to change the way they run and try to stand upright. 
Now, not necessarily and I, because I've been I've been retired for fifteen years now, and people aren't emulating it, and they're and they're and they're right not to try to emulate it because it's difficult to change your style. And as long as you're not doing anything that is working against you, then you do what you do, and you figure out how you best accomplish what you know what's best for you as an athlete using the physics that you have, as opposed to trying to emulate someone else. But you can take some elements away, but. You know, as you would imagine, it would be very difficult to tell an athlete who's 20 years old or even 16 or 17 years old, now all of a sudden I want you to change your body position to run more upright if that doesn't come naturally to them. Because there are some, some biomechanical things, there are some physiological things that I have just naturally in terms of the way that my body is structured that allowed me to do that. It wasn't something that – now, we obviously started doing some things in training and implemented some things from a training standpoint to be able to try to enhance that and even and, and to, to make it even better. But it's not something that you can just, uh, you know, just kind of train yourself to do. Right. So um, since we're, you know, we got off into this training thing, and, and, and I love this, by the way, um, let's talk a little bit about your performance centers and what, what spiked that and how's that all going? It's going fantastic. So I, I, I retired in 2000. I started Michael Downs Performance uh a few years later, and uh, in our original, uh, when I first started uh, Michael Johnson Performance or, or MJP, I, I first started, uh, we were uh, working primarily in football and uh, working with guys developing speed, and then um, um, we started to expand into uh, European soccer, uh, so global football as we call it, and uh, and all other sports, baseball as well, and basketball, and, and then um, uh We've just grown from there. We're headquartered in Dallas, but we're a global uh, organization. We have uh, uh, training programs for development programs for youth athletes. We um, have um, uh, training enrichment, uh, athletic enrichment programs for uh, elite and professional athletes from around the world. We have global operations in Brazil, Azerbaijan, UK, Trinidad, the Caribbean, Asia. So, uh, we're uh, we've grown quite uh, quite dramatically over the last uh, uh, eight years, and um, our our real mission is just to, uh, we're focused on development of athleticism, uh, and we're not sport specific. Uh, we work with athletes from, in every sport, um, just to give you a sense of how varied we are. We're the official uh, uh, training partner for the uh, Pro Bowl uh, Pro Bull Riders Association. Uh, we oh work with lots of bull riders um, on injury rehab as well. We have physical therapy clinics and all of our uh, as a part of all of our operations. And, uh, wow! Yeah, so we uh, we work with Formula One teams as well. Uh, we have a large uh, presence in the U- in, in Europe, working with the athletes there. Uh, uh, soccer teams, um, uh, obviously, in the UK is a big part of our business with some of the big names like Arsenal and Manchester United. Um, we work with uh, several different uh, Olympic federations, the uh, Brazilian Olympic Federation. Uh, we have uh, uh, Paralympic federations as well. And uh, so it's, uh, it's been great. The, the, our real objective and, and the real impetus for, for starting this company for me was I was fortunate during my career to, to get through uh, to the end of my career and, uh, pretty healthy and, uh, and also having had the opportunity to achieve all of my my potential as an athlete, and that was something that uh, uh, the idea was uh, to, to develop a, an organization that could help other athletes to do the same thing 
regardless of what level they may be at. So we've got, you know, 13 and 14 year old kids who, you know, by the time that they're 17, 18 and they, they finish uh, high school, uh, their, their professional, I mean, or their, their competitive careers are over, but they've reached their full potential and, and they're satisfied. And then, of course, then we've got college athletes as well that go on to get college scholarships. And then we've got athletes who have gone on to uh, to go into to the professional ranks of sports or uh, Olympic level as well. And uh, But our objective is to support them with injury prevention programs, mental skills programs, uh, nutrition, but uh, most importantly, uh, athletic development programs that are going to help them to reach their, their potential as athletes. That's awesome. So um, then – Interesting, interesting note to me is is that um, I came to, and we're leading into this, but uh, I came to MedHab. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I found them on the internet, uh, just perusing the things that I do, and I, you know, I got onto these insoles that you can you can shove into your shoes, and it's going to report to you what is occurring uh, on ground contact and flight while you're while you're moving through space. And the cool thing about it to me was the fact that I could put insoles in a client. Like I do online coaching where I'm working with people that I'll never meet. They live in other parts of the world. And uh, I'm trying to get some intelligent information and feedback back and forth between us. And I saw these insoles and I thought, you know what, i gotta, I got to meet these guys. i got to figure this out. And it sounds to me like somewhere along the way, that's pretty much what happened with you and how you ended up becoming partners with MedHab. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so we're both uh, we're both headquartered in the uh, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Our world headquarters in D- in Dallas. They're over in Fort Worth, and um, and so uh, they approached us and and uh, knew that you know some of the work that we were doing, similar to some of what you're doing. We work with athletes all around the world, even though we've got operations all around. We uh, we work with athletes who sometimes um, you know they'll come over, they'll fly to the U.S. from from anywhere around the globe, and We'll do assessments on those athletes. We work with them for a week or two, and then they go back to join their club, if it's a football club or, or whatever, or uh, go back to, to wherever their home base is. And then we continue to work with those athletes. But we do lots of different assessments, whether the athletes are in front of us or are in the follow-up with our remote coaching. Um, uh, we do lots of assessments. And so the more information we can get on that athlete, the, more, the better it's going to make our coaches. And so uh, you're never going to replace coaches. Lots of technology out there now. You're never going to replace good coaching. But our coaches want every tool that they can possibly have there at their disposal. And, and, and my job as CEO of the company is to provide them with the best tools so we can provide the best support for our athletes. Uh, when MedHab approached us, we, we thought this is it's innovative. It's, uh, it's very interesting. It's going to provide us some information that we, we don't normally get. And it's going to be able to confirm some things uh, in our assessments and in our physical therapy and uh, functional movement uh, uh, screens and whatnot that, uh, and injury prevention assessments that, that, uh, that we think we know. Uh, this is going to provide some, uh, some additional information to us and confirm some of those things. So um, we started talking with, uh, with Johnny Ross and, and the guys over at MedHab about their product, and uh, we started trialing it. Our coaches, uh, my coaches, uh, uh, spent uh, hours working with those guys and understanding the product and how we may be able to implement it into some of the things we do. And that's how the, uh, the partnership, uh, was formed. So, yeah, that, you know, I assume that it was something to that, that level where you, you started looking at, and, and, and I, I say this all the time, by the way, and I, I know we're new to each other, but, 
I tell athletes that I interview that, you know, especially when they're not gathering as much information as they possibly can, this is 2015. We're, we're in the new millennium. I mean, we have all kinds of information that we can access to, you know, lead us to make better decisions about the way we move through space. And, you know, to, to discount any potential uh, information that gathering is, is ridiculous. I mean, and so this is just taking it to a completely different level where I'll do video gate analysis on, on athletes daily. And, you know, their perception of what they're actually doing while they're running, what part of the foot is making contact with the ground, um, the, 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 the hang time that's associated with it, the force production that's associated with it, the uh, inequity in the way they're making co- contact with the ground, all of this information is being able, to, you know, being able to gather it and show it to them, is it, it's just very, very powerful stuff. So, you know, just for the sake of the audience that, that's trying to figure out what we're talking about, these insoles, for the most part, what I've learned is, you know, you you charge them up on this uh, this this charging plate, you shove them into your your running shoes, and then you simply begin running, and you know, through an app that you carry with you, you can you can upload this information and it, it very pointedly shows what the force production is, what contact points are, and it will start to speak towards uh, what what I'm going to have you build on is this bilateral equivalence, making sure that both legs are doing essentially the same amount of work as opposed to having com- compensatory issues with the way you're running. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer in getting people off of their heel and overstriding and just being able to do nothing more than that, being able to show someone where, in fact, their contact points are, what their stride frequency looks like, and how much force production they're getting is all powerful, powerful information that, you know, for the most part, most people won't get on their own. So do you, what, what are the real deal points that you look for when you use the, or when your people use these insoles with their, with their athletes? Yeah, you know, I think it it varies, Richard, from, you know, you just brought up one example in terms of trying to get people off of their heels so that they're not overstriding when you're training them from a, when you're you're doing your gait analysis and when you're watching them run and trying to make their their form more efficient. Um, But for us, working with athletes in all different sports, our coaches, whether they're working with football players on their footwork or whether they're, you know, working with, um, you know, athletes on linear speed and, and measuring gait analysis, uh, measuring stride length to ensure that, uh, that, uh, that there's equivalence on both sides for an efficiency standpoint. And also in our uh, advanced athlete assessment, which is one of our most popular products, we've integrated the, uh, the RPM square uh, inserts into that process now um, to assess an athlete from an injury prevention standpoint to see if what type of um, – uh, uh, musculoskeletal imbalances there may be with that athlete um, from from the bottom all the way up through the chain. So we're using it, and it because you're able to get so much information from a, uh, a symmetry standpoint, you can use it for whatever any coach may uh, need to find out more information about that athlete or may need to analyze that athlete from the perspective of understanding how they're actually moving. This actually does that for you. And so uh, it's not limited, and I think that that's the great thing. It's not limited to just one sort of, uh, of, uh, of, of ideas in terms of, you know, what the use might be from a, 
a, a coaching standpoint, it, it varies depending on actually what the coach is trying to accomplish with that athlete. Right. Well, one of the things that I've done, and I, I came up from triathlon uh, or back in the day, and um, I, I, uh, I also do uh, clinical assessments of, of uh, VO2 and write heart rate prescription for athletes. Um, and that led me to actually doing bike fitting. And I'll put a triathlete, you know, they'll come in to do a, a dual VO2. I'll test them on a bike, then I'll test them running, trying to find what their threshold looks like. And I found more often than not that their threshold suffered when they were on the bike. And it led me to understand that part of the reason was mechanically they were def- deficient. They were on the bike uh, improperly. So I actually, you know, sought one of the better fitters out in the world and had him come stay with me until he trained me to learn how to to, to uh, properly fit someone to their bike for time trial, uh, road racing, whatever it might be. And so the, the, the hole in the program has always been for me, you know, I, I'll do some measurements, but they're static measurements. I, I measure the virus vulgus relationship of the way they make contact with the pedal, things like this. But uh, being able to show force production through the pedal during the bike fit to, to analyze whether the, the, the change in, in posture on the bike has made significant improvements in their power production and, uh, and comfort for that matter. Uh, this is a very powerful tool for that. And I don't think too many people out there in the world of cycling or triathlon is, are even aware of this being available, especially since these things provide power output on the fly. You know, you could basically put your phone on your bike uh, and, and capture a real-time power production through, through both feet. And you could do it according to what we're doing today. It's like about 500 bucks to get uh, accurate power meter uh, uh, while you're riding. So there's just, uh, you know, I guess the reason I'm talking about this so much and the way I, the reason I even brought these guys on as a, as a sponsor with us is they, you know, they're, they're filling a gap in, in my processes that is very, very helpful for me. Yeah, and at a at a very uh, at a very economical price because I, I mean my understanding is that power meters are are, are quite expensive. They're one dimensional. You got to attach it to the bike, and 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 it really that's really what it does for you. So you you mentioned triathletes, and so triathletes are running. They're doing their running training. They're also doing their uh, their bike training, and so this certainly does fill a, a gap, as you said, for for the triathlete at a at an economical price, but also a multi-dimensional tool that they're able to use in running as well as, as, uh, as on the bike itself. And, and as well, I mentioned before, I mean, and it's, 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 it's not, a, you know, it's, it's multi-dimensional in terms of its uses because of all of the different things that it does measure. I mean, from the from step time to range of motion, stride length, all of those things are measured by the device. So uh, regardless, and, 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 you know, we see a lot of triathletes with injuries, and this has been extremely helpful for us and athletes coming back from injury to get an understanding of the symmetry issues and if that particular area, that particular side is still causing any problems and, uh, and if they're back to the, the previous uh, 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 pre-injury uh, uh, effectiveness that they, that they previously demonstrated. Yeah, well, I, I could tell you that just the idea, and, and this is a notion that most people that are, if they're listening to this, they start scratching their head and starting to realize that uh, up until now, uh, it is almost impossible to get power uh, uh, meter information from running. 
And, you know, that's kind of been the holy grail for runners is we look at heart rate, we look at distance, we look at all these different uh, metrics, but we've never been able to actually uh, look at power production. And and so that, you, not only can you can you get it off the bike, but you take the insoles out of your your cycling shoes, shove them into your running shoes, and just change the parameter in which you're, you're hoping to track data, and you've got both. And, and you could do a, a ton of really interesting comparative analysis that way. And, and so getting back to the, the distance coaching or what you referred to as remote coaching, now I have clients right now on the East Coast. I've had them as far away as Australia where, um, you know, they're, we're having conversations uh, through Skype. They're sending me video clips of the way they're moving. And so I, I'm getting a two-dimensional view of the way they're moving, but I'm not really getting a chance to see. I mean, I could see what their cost is because they're sending me heart rate. But um, the the thing is, is they send me the video. I'll do some edits. I'll send the videos back, which is it's good stuff. But if I was able to slip these insoles into their shoes, um, once they've done a workout, you know, they send the, the reports back to me and I get them instantaneously as, as they will. And I could see what they're whether they're improving or not, and make comments about what I think they should be doing next, as as well as they could see, in fact, that this 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 information is it's irrefutable. I mean, I have people that want to argue with me about what they're doing or not doing when I say they're doing something, uh, and and so this basically, um, you know, it, it, it's like fish or cut bait. You're 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 either doing it or you're not doing it, or it's getting better or it's not getting better. So it becomes a really powerful tool in that respect. So. For whatever it's worth, I, yeah. it's, uh, I think, you know, it, it's all about data, uh, Richard. And, and, and the more data you can collect and, and compare, you know, the more powerful you become because you've got that knowledge and you understand where you're tracking, how you're tracking, um, how you're improving. Again, we talked about, you know, our athletes, when they're reco- recovering from injury, you know, the most critical thing for us to understand is, is how they're tracking and they're tracking back to their original pre-injury uh uh, condition and 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 we work with um, just as many coaches as we do athletes. Many of the athletes that come in, we're working with those athletes and coaches as well. Uh, just as you mentioned, you know these uh, the athletes you're working with are able to send the information back to you. With this particular, I mean, with the with the RPM squared device, you're able to take the app and actually just send the information right over to the coach, or they're able to send it right back to us with just one click. So, you know. Technology obviously is changing. Uh, it, it, a lot of it wasn't around when I was competing, but uh, it's changing the way that uh, that we live our lives, and, and it's no different within sports. That you know, technology is an incredible tool for us to be able to leverage. And so, uh, for that reason, you know, again, like I said before, my coaches—they've got great knowledge and experience. They're fantastic coaches. You're never going to take away coaching. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's critical to it's the most critical part of my business is having great coaches. But uh, as I said before, I've got to give them the tools that, that they need to be able to, uh, to do their job as best they can. And so this is certainly uh, a tool that they, uh, they feel uh, confident in and its ability to help them to be better and better serve our athletes. You know, it's interesting. Uh, my, my producer just made a comment here to me, and uh, it's, a good, it's a good point to bring it up. But um, a while back, I was contracted by ESPN Sports Science to do uh, some testing for one of their one of their episodes uh, on Demarcus Beasley. He's from Texas. You probably know him, don't you? I know of him. Okay, Demarcus Beasley. Obviously, he was uh, four-time uh, World Cup 
competitor for the U.S., been on the U.S. team. Uh, and they they were doing all sorts of, of uh, assessments on him. You know, you know, just I guess the, the show kind of uh, revolves around the fascination of, you know, the, the, the human condition, how, how athletes uh, are able to do what they do. And so, you know, it started out where, uh, you know, I came a little early. I set up my, my Metcart to, to do my testing on him. Uh, but I was the last part of the segment, so I, I just sat around the studio, and they've got basically uh, a mock um, soccer field with, with a, a net, and they set them up where they had this this ball throwing machine that pitched these soccer balls at them at chest level, and you know the the goal was to let the ball bounce off his chest and and try to measure the contact time from when the when the ball came off his chest to the time that he kicked it into the to the goal. And then they had him do essentially uh, uh, a run through through some uh, some barriers and just some cones basically to measure his agility and speed. And while they were getting him all harnessed up for all this data collection, uh, the 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 biomechanist that they had there was strapping him up. They had these devices that they put on his ankles with these power packs and this waist belt that he had to wear to to carry. Uh, some fashion of receiver, but I don't know how much hardware he had on, but I sat there giggling to myself. And I thought, you know, if they only knew, <laughs> all they needed to do is shove these insoles in his shoes and they could have collected as much information, if not more, without all that cumbersome uh, hardware that they were putting on them. Uh, it was just an interesting time. And I actually did speak to the biomechanist after the fact. I said, have you ever heard of these these uh these insoles put out by RPM squared and she looked at me puzzled and she was she was not even aware that they existed and I actually got her card. I I, I promised Johnny I would get it to him and I, I never did, my bad. I, I probably will make that hookup. But anyway, this is like supposed to be the you know the epitome of cutting edge analysis for television. And uh you know, they were they were really pretty much in the dark ages too. Yeah, and I think, I think, you know, these things are coming so fast, so quickly. I mean, like I said, I mean, in every other area of our lives, technology is just moving very, very quickly. And um, and the same thing is happening with all of the different, uh, you know, trackers, even whether it's fitness trackers or GPS tracking for a lot of the uh, the, uh, the athletes uh, and sports teams and then uh, heart rate monitors. And, and I think that one of the things is, you know, people don't know about this sort of uh, technology because it is quite innovative. I mean, uh, you know, one of the things I think people think of an insole, you know, and they think uh, it's an orthotic, and this is not an orthotic. This is actually a device that's designed to provide feedback to you from you know, really one of the most critical areas of athleticism, and that is the lower chain and how you're actually moving from a, uh, an efficiency standpoint. So uh, it's all very new. You know, it's, it's innovative. It's, it's not something that uh, that we know about. You know, everybody knows about heart rate monitors. You know, you talk about VO2. Yeah, we all know about VO2 now. And, you know, you, you know about heart rate and all of those sorts of things. And this is the first time, you know, that we've had these devices that are now starting to come out that are able to track, you know, from a biomechanical standpoint, collect data, attract uh, um, um, uh, people to to understanding the data and being able to to track that data and being able to compare it. Yeah. Well, uh, clearly uh, for me, uh, and this is, again, this is my day-to-day job, is 
I have clients come to me all the time. 99% of them come to me not because their performance uh, interest, but primarily their interest is they want to stop uh, being injured. And uh, as you probably are aware, um, you know, there's 45 million runners in this country, uh, recreational runners, and a good percentage of them, better than 75% of them, um, are injured commonly. And it is, you know, it's proven to be directly associated with poor running mechanics or improper training programs. So, you know, being able to take that next step and start showing people how to mitigate some of these injuries and allow them to get back out there and do the thing they do, it's a very powerful uh, aspect of, of, of the business. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I have people come to me and I say, look, I can help you run faster. Well, that's novel. They're interested in that, but they're not going to set a world record. They're not going to get paid to do it. They're not going to get, you know, they're not going to uh, be world beaters. They just, their, their biggest concern is more so that they don't want to hurt. They, they want to be able to do what they do, live that happy lifestyle, and not be broken down and, and sidelined because of injuries. And so I, I, think, it's, I think it's really important uh, to be able to provide that type of feedback for people. So it's, it's going to be implemented in, in, in most of the processes that I, I do here. Um, it's just a very powerful tool. And, you know, I get older and I keep learning more and more about what it is we can do for these folk. And, and this has just been a very power, powerful tool to stick in my quiver. So, yeah, Michael, absolutely. What's... I, I, I agree. It's, it's, uh, I mean, the, the, from our perspective at NJP, I mean, we're a development partner for, uh, for, uh, for MedHAP for the RPM2 device. We've tested it. We're providing, our coaches are providing feedback. And we get uh, not only the elite athletes, but we do get the triathletes and endurance weekend warrior athletes that come into our facility for our advanced athlete assessments uh, that provide information back to them. And, and, and to your point, most of them are coming in. They want to be better, yes, but most importantly, they don't want to have to stop and have any sort of uh, pauses in their activity, uh, and that generally happens because of injuries. And so they come into us for injury prevention. Many of them come to us because they've been injured, and they, they, they first enter us through our physical therapy clinic for rehab, and then they find themselves uh, over on our performance side um, looking for us to help them to prevent injury. And so the uh, the RPM squared device is, 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 is crucial, and we recommend it to those athletes so they can start to understand themselves because they're not being coached by us on a daily basis because, like you said, these aren't the athletes that are going to be making money and, and winning and breaking world records. And so um, they're not uh, they're not going to be training with us on a daily basis as, uh, as, as our elite athletes and, uh, do. So um, these athletes, uh, many times, they're weekend warriors. They're training on their own. But this provides a tremendous amount of uh, 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 data back to them and, and intelligence back to them about their own performance and how they're actually um, how they're actually training, and and hopefully sets them up for uh, for an ability to to correct themselves when they're when they're doing when they're running in an inefficient manner. And and I see people all of the time that you know you, you kind of they they haven't been coached and um, and they feel like I'm not at a level where I actually need to invest in coaching. But this certainly provides a, a situation for them where they're actually able to monitor themselves and understand whether they actually need to go get some help or whether they need to correct something in their technique from the fact that it, uh, it does tell you whether you're, you're symmetrical or, or not. That's absolutely correct. Well, so you're living, you're living in California now, right? 
I split my time between uh, uh, San Francisco and uh, and Dallas. So we're headquartered in Dallas, um, but I've been in California. I've been in San Francisco uh, in the Bay Area for the last uh, 15 years. And uh, but I, I spent a lot of time with MJT. Uh, being the CEO of the company is, is my primary role. I can do that from anywhere. But um, uh, my other role is. Uh, Managing all of our global services and all of our global uh, customers, as well as our uh, our partnerships with uh, we're a development partner for companies like uh, NetHep or RPM Square. We have other relationships like that. Uh, Nike, we work with uh, the Nike Sports Research Lab uh, and product development with them as well. So I spend most of my time uh, managing those relationships, so I can I can do that pretty much anywhere. Well, Michael, I got to tell you, it's it's been an honor to have you on my show, and uh, I, I appreciate that, that we're basically brethren in the science. We're 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 kind of both uh, with our ear to the ground, trying to find, you know, the most innovative uh, uh, opportunities we can to help our clients and and in, in essentially, you know, in better athleticism around the world, right? Absolutely, that's what everybody's looking for, and that's that's. That's what they look to us for, and uh, yeah, and so it's, and it's great to have great to have uh, other people out there passionate about it as well. Well, maybe one day we'll meet because I'm in California. We're not that far away, um, and uh, you know maybe there's a chance I'll get down to your performance facility. I know Johnny Ross would love to see me come back down to his place, and uh, you know we had we shared shared a few steaks the other night, and and. Uh, He's very passionate about what he's doing, and, and, and you know, I, I, I love that. So maybe one time I'll get a chance to meet you, and I'm certainly looking forward for the chance. Absolutely. We're welcome. You're, you're welcome anytime. All right. Listen, you have an amazing weekend, my friend, and uh, I hope to, uh, as I suggest, hope to one day get a chance to meet you in person. All right. Thanks. We appreciate it. Oh, no worries. And so just, just to recap for the people that are still listening to the show, I offered up a promo code at the beginning of this show to get yourself a pair of these RPM squared um, insoles. If you have any questions about that, just reach out to me personally, D-I-A-Z-H-P at Verizon.net. And uh, the promo code, again, let me just make sure is uh, here. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Okay. The promo code is D-I-A-Z-H, excuse me, Diaz promo, D-I-A-Z promo. You guys have an amazing weekend. Got to have a great show for you coming up. I think we're, our next uh, broadcast is going to be an interview with Bart Yasso of, of, of Runner's World fame. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network, drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.